out there watching some footy in Saudi Arabia, or should I say South Africa? Not even there. Or the AFC Championship game. Whoop, my bad. Different sports. Y'all know what time it is. We are back at it yet again. This is the Football Misfits home of the Football Misfits. Episode 128. I am your host with the most, LV, a.k.a. Pippa Fronto, a.k.a. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, a.k.a. Buck Nasty. The Sats first fan? Damn. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. Y'all know this will not be the Football Misfits unless I was joined by the other host with the most desk. The man, the myth, the legend. The one who gets it done, has gotten it done, and will always get it done. That's right. He has Misfit in his name. You guessed correctly. Uh, he also has Ronnie in his name. That's what I know him as. Ronnie. Hey, what's good for the one time? What is good for the one time? Let's stay strong. Let's be brave. We need it. Please. And of course, it's been a few episodes without this man at the data desk. The man with the numbers, the Googles, the facts. Fabrizio Romano's blowing up his line. Do not disturb him. <laughs> Back up, fam. I'm talking about the Spencyclopedia Britannica, Spencer Povich, Spencer Vanger. Uh, that's what I've heard, allegedly. The <laughs> one, the only. <laughs> I know him mainly as my good friend, Spencer. Uh, Spencer, at the data desk, say what's good for the one time. What's going on, everybody? Peace and love, peace and love. Good to be back at the data desk, looking up facts, making sure we're, we're on point. Shout out to Arsenal. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, it begins. Look at this. Oh, God. That that hurts. I'll Liverpool that. who? That uh, chill, chill. I'm still a Liverpool Madrid guy. Real Madrid guy. So, Spencer, I've got this working... I've got this working theory, Spencer. Uh, Jurgen Klopp with no glasses, downhill slide for Liverpool. Would you agree? Uh, no. But I, I can see what he's doing. Ah. God damn it. I thought I had something there. All good. <laughs> it's okay. Neither here nor there. Uh, as y'all can tell, Spencer uh, has gotten bit by the Arsenal virus. It's hurting my soul. If I'm not mistaken, I did hear a little French accent there, a little danger, but neither you know that. I'm um, trying to ignore it. And so we will move on. And with that being said, Ronnie, the question that I pose to you once a week on this podcast, where would you like to start? I don't know. Match of the Arsenal. They're out of the FA Cup now. Out of here. And the FA Cup is what's, you know, center stage in England this weekend, so I don't know. Let's get into the FA Cup. All right. The Cup for all clubs in England, whether you're a seventh tier or whether you're in the Premier League, the FA Cup, fourth round this weekend. Tons of action, tons of teams in action. A few marquee fixtures. Uh, we probably can begin with the one that you mentioned, uh, Arsenal falling out of, uh, and that was against their Title rivals this season, Manchester City, who they will play two more times in the league, at least. This could have been a first test, if you will, to see how both managers might line up in this match. Uh, we saw a similar fate uh, between Man City and Chelsea two seasons ago. Um, however, it was 
more so for the Champions League title as they battled many times in the league and then that culminated in that final match. This one for different stakes, if you will. But nonetheless, FA Cup fourth round, Manchester City versus Arsenal at the Etihad. The match, I should just say off the front, finishes 1-0, courtesy of a Nathan Ake goal in the second half. This match, in my opinion, was uh, a snooze fest. I don't know. Yo, that's a fact. I saw a bit and piece of this on uh, Friday. And, uh, yeah, I couldn't really keep on. I saw the Ake goal, and after that, I'm like, mm, this game is a dud. <laughs> and I don't really feel that way because it's the FA Cup. Yeah, no FA Cup magic. I feel like um, the magic in the FA Cup comes when uh, teams from lower divisions play teams from the Premier League, and you hope for a, a giant killing, as they say over in England. But, yeah, this was two teams in the top of their form in the Premier League, and it felt more like a chess match between the two managers. Who was going to come out with their strongest formation and their strongest uh, 11? Who was going to, uh, I guess, uh, attack more? Who was going to play harder? Uh, considering the matches that they have at stake in the league. And um, unfortunately for the fans, that gave us a really boring first half and more of the same in the second half. Um, as I said before, 1-0 the final score. Um, the first thing that came up to me was trying to understand what Arteta and what Guardiola were doing in terms of how they lined up. Were they trying to get a feel for how these teams played? It seems to me that Pep Guardiola lined up with a stronger formation. Now, do you guys feel that Arteta was lining up with, I guess, not his strongest first 11? Did that better serve his intentions, quote unquote, uh, in the league? Or should he have also put up a stronger team because this is a cup that he potentially could win and would be good for an Arsenal side? I mean, it was a mix of, you know, some of your regular 11 and a mix of like, players who are, like, specific to the FA Cup. Um, like, Vieira started in the midfield. Turner started in goal. But you had Saka and Nketiah starting up top. And Tossard made his Arsenal start, his first one as a gunner. So, I don't know. Maybe. Because, you know, Arsenal and City in this early stage of the FA Cup, you would think, you know, they'd be conservative. But City were to an extent too, but they were the much stronger side, as you said. Like they, Haaland started up top, and the midfield was what we would usually see. If I were Arsenal, I probably would have, you know, gone with a bit more stronger pieces. Would that have changed the result? I don't know. But um, yeah, man, I kind of agree with the theory. Yeah, um, Spencer, any thoughts as the uh, the new Arsenal correspondent? Goodness gracious, you. Um, any thoughts on Arsenal uh, dropping that lineup for this FA Cup? FA, dropping this lineup for the FA Cup clash with Man City, a title contender. Um, do you feel like they should have put up a stronger first eleven, or do you like what they did? Are they playing chess, not checkers, as they say? Uh, I think they might be playing chess. Um, kind of maybe. I mean, they did put out a strong lineup, but maybe focusing more on continuing to rack up points in the league. Um, and again, it's City, so it's they're really good. So, um... <laughs> well said, well said. But it's also against Arsenal. They weren't playing West Brom or Accrington Stanley or Stevenson. True, true, true though. 
Absolutely true, by the way. So yeah, I can see why they did go guns a blazing. Yeah, and, and I think uh, for what it's worth, Manchester City over the course of the years have built up a side, not just a starting eleven, but a full squad that you can probably start in different matches and different tournaments and consider a first eleven. Uh, now, granted, this does look like the first eleven that they've been putting out um, for the most part um, in the league as well. But uh, I think I've been saying this all year. I even said it last year with uh, the likes of West Ham, not comparing Arsenal to West Ham. But um, this is the moment in the season where uh, you kind of have to reckon with the amount of games that you are going to have to play and the, the, the quality of players that you want to put out for these fixtures. And Arsenal, I think their first 11 is incredible. I think even with Gabriel Jesus going down, Eddie Nketiah has stepped up in incredible fashion. But um, they don't have the luxury that City does to put out, you know, an incredible first 11 that might even consist of some bench players, even though uh, it was quite the opposite. And I think Arteta tried his hand at that. He put out a team that was some bench players and some starting uh, in the league form, at least. And uh, it seems they put up a fight. If I'm Arteta, I think I'm pretty happy with the result. Obviously, it's a cup lost they can't compete for the fa cup anymore but that gives them more ammo to compete for the league which is obviously something that i imagine would be very coveted for arsenal um and then for guardiola he has the luxury to to pick a strong 11 for the fa cup and then put out probably a similarly strong starting 11 uh, for league games and obviously the champions league and european matches that are to come but with that being said um man city move on fourth round winners in the FA Cup, they will move on to the fifth round. Uh, and while Arsenal, however, will uh, drop out of the FA Cup, I believe they're also out of the League Cup. So all they've got left is uh, European uh, footy, the Europa League, and uh, the League, uh, which I imagine, like I said, they are focused on heavily. Uh, elsewhere in the FA Cup, there was plenty of action. That was some Friday match. Um, and we had action throughout the weekend. Ronnie mentioned Accrington Stanley as they played Leeds United and lost uh, 3-1 Leeds United, the Premier League boys, putting up some numbers on those guys over at Accrington. <laughs> uh, any other FA Cup matches that stuck out to you all? Uh, before United we get to that, I, I, you, you, you mentioned Leeds. I don't know why you brought up this game, but... Um... Accrington Stanley is the name that really got me, Ronnie. Shouts to Accrington Stanley. But um from a Leeds POV. Uh Weston McKenney. I think it looks like he's going to Leeds. How do we feel about that? Locked and loaded. Great question. I think uh I saw a video of him in England. Looks like he's locking it in. Um joining some fellow Americans over there and Tyler Adams and the like. Uh I think it's a good move for Weston McKinney getting some Premier League footy under his belt. He had some time over in uh, Serie A under your Juventus, Ronnie. I think he performed decently um, enough to command a 40 million uh, euro fee, I think, which includes transfers and the like uh, or uh, bonuses and whatnot. Um, you know what? I think I like it. I like him in the Premier League. I know Spurs were linked to him for a little bit, allegedly, but... I think it'd be a good move for him. And I think Leeds United is the place. Jesse Marsh, the American manager, bringing sort of a revolution, if you will, uh, over to An American revolution, to be exact. Mm, dumping of tea. 
I like that. It's called revenge out here in these parts, apparently. They said the first battle was on our turf. Let's bring it to yours. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned Tottenham. Hunmanson with a brace as Spurs went to Deep Dale and defeated Preston North End. They did beat Preston North End. Youngmanson did score uh, a wonderful goal, I think, in my opinion. Uh, something that he's obviously capable of. He does have that in his back, as they say. I think the highlight for me, outside of Sun getting a brace from a rough season that he's had thus far, uh, not scoring in the league much outside of a hat trick. <laughs> Weird. Um, but uh, Spurs' new signing from the Yellow Submarine, the highway to hell, if you will, all the way down into North London, are not uh, Danjuma made his appearance, his first appearance for Spurs after signing with them in the January window uh, and scored the final goal in that 3-0 win. Happy to see, um, happy to have him. What do you guys make of his uh, his transfer business over January? He was allegedly going to Everton. Not sure if this is real or fake, but there were some comments that he said that he'd, you know, bleed blue or yada, yada, yada. And, you know, my man's ended up... Uh, in North London, way, way away from uh, Merseyside. I mean, he took one look at the table and was like, oh, no, I'm not going to sign my career away. Spuzz. <laughs> and this is a man who played for Burnmouth, too. Spuzz. Uh, pretty wild. Um, if that whole, like, Twitter exchange was true, uh. We're lucky, we're happy to have you, says the Everton fans, and then they saw the report like, fuck off, mate. Um, it's it was it's a wild business dealings, but um I guess Spurs got their guy. They're only signing this window, right? The loan deal. Yeah, the only one thus far, a loan deal for Arnold Danjuma. Uh some some uh, old school hijacking, if you will. Uh something that you're used to seeing Chelsea do uh, from Spurs. Coaching Everton, who are currently fighting for their lives. Oh, yes, they are. Do we even talk about Frank Lampard getting sacked? I feel like that we was a while not. ago that we missed it. Let's talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about it. Uh, Everton sucks. We knew this. He had to go. Next question. Boom, pow. I think that was, that's basically it. You hit it on a nutshell. Much different <laughs> than his sacking. Much different than his sacking at Chelsea, where I remember you and I had some conversations on whether or not it was the right time. I think I said that whether or not it was the right time, it was Chelsea's time um, where you said as that a maybe manager, the guys... As a manager, he's mid. As a manager, yes. It seems, it seems to be shaking out that he's uh, pretty mid. We saw what he did at Chelsea, overachieved in his first uh, sort of season, if you will, um, and then petered out, was sacked, ended up at Everton. Uh, they did ultimately stay alive, a very crucial staying alive for them based on all the money they spent, but they find themselves this season in the same sort of predicament, not doing enough, not making enough, and uh, not winning enough. Uh, the Everton board, after spending all that money, said, time for you to go. And I think, yeah, like you said, it's fair to say that Frank Lampard, you're, you're looking like Derby County Frank, you know? Uh, I don't know. Now, two questions. One, uh, can Everton pull off a uh, Salernitana escape from the relegation zone in the league? Oof, duh. Um, I, I, 
At the moment, absolutely. I think, and I'm going to go ahead and flip sides um, from the conversation that we've had when he was manager of Chelsea Frank Lampard, whether or not it was the right time to sign him, because I believe he was sacked around the same time in the, around the January transfer window uh, when he was at Chelsea and wasn't too soon. I'm going to go ahead and say that maybe it was a bit too soon to sack the man um, at this time because of the fact Everton being very close to being in the safety zone, if you will, uh, they're only three points off of 14th place. So the relegation battle is not quite a three-team race yet. It's more of like a seven-team race, if you will. So maybe uh, he might have been able to pull something out of the bag, but clearly Everton didn't feel that that was the case, and instead they uh, opted for somebody else. Okay. Two. I saw this on socials, and I feel like it's a good point to raise. Not always is the former footballing legend going to be a great manager. Uh, how do you feel about that uh, point? I know we have some managers who were pretty iconic footballers. Uh, Zidane is the first person that comes to mind. But As the Jenny Desk says quickly, Zizou doesn't wait a second. <laughs> and one could say he's the anomaly? I think he's absolutely the anomaly uh, in this factor because I'm thinking of uh, one man in particular, maybe two, um, but a, a certain Jose Mourinho comes to mind. He wasn't the best footballer. Some would say that, I think he's even said himself, he was shit uh, on the pitch, but a genius uh, as a manager. Now, I'm not sure how good Alex Ferguson was. <laughs> It might have been way before our time. But uh, another guy I think that you can throw in the hat of great managers who weren't necessarily good players. And then in the inverse, when you think of incredible players, one of my favorites, one of my all-time favorites, uh, Zizou is definitely one of them. But Andrea Pirlo, sorry, Ronnie, uh, didn't have the best of spells at Juventus, whether or not that was his tactics or what was going on in Juventus that was clouding the on-pitch performances. He performed quite poor. That I would give an exception to because of the fact that he was originally brought on to be like the youth team manager. They sacked uh, Mauricio Sahri. Yes. And then they just threw it on him. I won't necessarily, you know, put all that on Pirlo. Also, am I right in saying Pirlo won a trophy as the manager? I mean, he did. I mean, yes. Yes, you are. You're absolutely right. And, uh, and if I'm right, I think it was a Supercopa, but still. It was a, it, yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. But still, that one I'm willing to like, and as, I'm not saying this because, you know, you vent Dini all the way, but it was, you know, he was just thrown into it. But I, I do see the point. Otherwise, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson looked like he was a baller, 171 career goals in league play. I hate to be his teammate, I'll be honest. You look like an asshole. <laughs> but um, yes, it's um, I don't know. Like I said, it feels like Zidane is the anomaly. Yeah, I think we're we're seeing now the revolution of former players that grew up in our generation, so we can fully analyze whether or not they're actually good coaches or not. Uh, we've got Chabi Alonso at Leverkusen, which we would talk uh, more about, I imagine, in this episode about how they've been doing and this this week specifically. Uh, Guardiola was one who 
may have played slightly before our generation, but um, is clearly considered one of the geniuses and whatnot. Uh, Jurgen Klopp, great manager. Spencer might know a little bit about this, but I think also, according to him, not the best footballer. <laughs> and you go on and on and on. Carlo Ancelotti, his playing career took him where? To Napoli, right? No, Milan, right? Yep, yep, yep. And that eyebrow could take you anywhere, honestly. Yeah, he played a good amount of time at Milan and then somewhere in the capital, I want to say Roma. Ronald Koeman is another one. He, he was a great player. Stuck as a manager, uh, in my opinion. <laughs> although, he does, although he does sponsor our BS The League segment. Shout out to Ronald Koeman. And then, as a manager, like, we can even continue. Oh, you're talking that talk. Jeez. Taking it back. R.I.P. Uh, Gianluca Vialli. He there we go. wasn't the best manager at Chelsea, nor at uh, Watford. Yes. And if we're sticking in the Italian vein, on the inverse, Antonio Conte, a pretty influential player for the Italian national team, and wherever he played on a club level, I believe Juventus as well. Uh, he's one of the top managers in the world, too. Yeah, he's been considered one of the better managers. So that's one in the great player, great manager camp. Uh, if we look at the data desk real quickly, Spencer has been letting us know that uh, Johan Cruyff, as he says, and I quote, bomb player, bomb manager, he did invent his own turn, the, the, the Cruyff Another turn. Another anomaly, John Cruyff. Yeah, I, I mean, if we're counting that, it looks like maybe three or four players that were great. Uh, on pitch and also as the manager versus, you know, maybe dozens of managers that were great on Maradona pitch. Maradona is another case of you were a great player. As a manager, I don't know if you were if you were all that. Yeah, I think that was the Demons, neither here nor there. Uh, the Demons were there at the South Africa World Cup. <laughs> yes, indeed. They sure were. I mean, the if, if we're talking about real demons, those demons were around since his days at Barcelona, but... They were they were there when he was playing. <laughs> That's not here nor there. If we continue on in this path, Patrick Vieira currently at Crystal Palace, obviously an Arsenal legend, an incredible central defensive midfielder um, at Crystal Palace. He seems to be mid-table at best thus far, obviously creating... Some moments where they're improving very well, and then also some moments where, uh, you know, there's uh, a lot more to be desired from them. Now, yeah, Patrick um, Vieira is a great baller. You mentioned Crystal Palace mid table. He's keeping them afloat. Uh, uh, when he was at Nice, he did get sacked at one point because they were eliminated from Europe. But before Nice, he had a good run at New York City. Yes, yes, indeed. Oh, local to the states here. You're absolutely right. Um, and then if we go on that tangent, oh, I love her. I love where we're taking this deep dive. Thierry Henry as well has had his share of managerial woes. Montreal Impact. Was he also a manager of a French club? I'm thinking Monaco, Marseille. Let me think. I want to be going to This could be an answer for Monaco, the. Monaco, Monaco, Monaco. Yes, 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 yes. Monaco, yeah. He, he was the manager of Monaco. And he was I the manager of Monaco for like half a season, I think. It didn't go very well, and obviously he's one of the greatest the Premier League has ever seen, one of the greatest of all time. Uh, and, you know, that hurts me saying that, maybe not spent so much of the data, which is probably why we haven't seen any data uh, yet on that. Neither here nor there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, it seems as if, the you know, the great players, uh, the crop of great players that have been great managers 
it's few and far between versus the, uh, you know, players that haven't been very good being great managers being necessarily in there. So um, I think this theory is ongoing, but I, I think it does definitely lend to whether or not you were a great player, you do have the op- opportunity to be a great manager. There are uh, many others to mention or think about in that vein, Ronnie, um, of managers that were great. Uh, Spencer at the data desk brings up another French player, uh, Didier Deschamps, who I think was an influential player on the French national team. He definitely had a decorated career as a club player. And obviously we see him managing the French national team, winning a World Cup in 2018, and then going to the final in 2022, uh, obviously. Now, this also begs another question. Do we take away some points if you were on the national team as a manager because you play more few and far between where if you play club football, it's much more scrutinized. What do you think? What do you guys think? Meaning like discredit his managerial statistics. Right. Does it count as much? I mean, obviously if you play an international, if you're an international manager, you're playing much less. You have your players for like what? At most two weeks every month. No, absolutely. I, I I see what you're saying. So you're saying in the inverse, basically, because you get to see your folks play less often. For that reason alone, you should you should get some credence because you're making something happen with less of a time to kind of gel with your players and whatnot. Right, and he's right. he right. was able to win a World Cup first of all as a captain for France in '98, and then as a manager twenty years later. Yes. Uh, the next tournament after that was a bit marred with your mama. But, your mama. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But, and, then he made another world, and then he made another World Cup final with what many said a depleted squad. And he brought a lot of good guys that we now know. Like, who do we really know who Colomwane was before this World Cup? Probably not. We did not. If we look at a few other players, like you mentioned, in the same vein as uh, the Day Day Shop. Diego Simeone, another one, El Cholo, uh, a big influence on the Argentinian national team. Uh, he was famous for, I believe, getting David Beckham sent off um, in, what was the, uh, was the World Cup in 02? Was it the, I believe it was 2002 World Cup. Um, playing a big part in that and being a rabble rouser. He's also been one of the prominent managers in La Liga over the last uh, 20 or so years. One of the mainstays in La Liga, something that you don't see often with the change of the guard in uh, the top sides being Real Madrid and Barcelona. He's been the stalwart. He's been there for a hot minute at Atletico Madrid. He's been probably one of the highest paid managers in the world. He's won his share of titles. He's made his own Champions League finals, although being spoiled by the uh, his fellow city counterparts in Real Madrid, um, but another player who was pretty impactful in his playing career and also uh, in his coaching career. But I think uh, this theory is definitely carrying on, Ronnie. That the majority of folks that are great players and also great managers are few uh, and far between the players that have been yeah mediocre at best and also great managers. Yeah, man. Uh, all that to say, Everton didn't even play this weekend. Nah, they're too busy getting uh, 
stay too busy again. As uh, Spencer at the data desk gives me some confirmation, it's so nice to have Spencer back uh, because otherwise I'd be spewing a bunch of bullshit. He says the 1998 World Cup round of 16, David Beckham gets sent off his pretty ass. Uh, thanks to one Diego Simeone. Oh, did you look at that? Did you look at that, your pretty ass? But that being said, Everton, get rid of Frank Lampard, the uh, probably one of the most decorated midfielders in the Premier League history. He's done it all, and he's won it all. And they replaced him with Sean Dyche. Mr. I'll get it done. Oh, you 17th place? I don't like that. Not, not a fan, huh? Talk about it. I don't like that. I feel like he's, you know, I feel like now he's starting to become uh, this age Sam Allardyce. I don't like that. Now He's better while, than rescuing a team from relegation. Now, while I feel like you're absolutely right, because I was heartbroken, and it's crazy for me to say that because I support a different Premier League team, but I have so much respect for Sean Dyche when he was sacked from Burnley late last season. Um for God knows what reason, they still probably would have stayed up if they had him. Um, I think this can be different and this has a chance to be different if he does keep them up because Everton are really getting themselves a diamond in the rough. This is not only uh, a Sam Allardyce type coach that can keep you in the Premier League when things are looking ugly, but this is also someone that can grow you as a team, as a hard-nosed team, as a team that you don't want to play uh, in your schedule late on in the season when things are getting rough because they're focused on bigger things. Uh, we all know how uh, tough Burnley have been to play in the last couple of seasons. We know uh, what Sean Dyche has done with that squad. We know what he would have done with uh, players such as Boot Beckhorst, um, you know, in his rankings. I believe that this is an opportunity for Sean Dyche to show uh, Burnley fans and Burnley supporters in the Burnley front office what they may have been missing. This is not only a coach that can keep you up in the Premier League, this is a coach that can build upon uh, in the Premier League. This is a coach that can make you better in the Premier League. I love Sean Dyche personally. I think he's a great manager. He's not only a practical manager, but he's a manager that can pull off a masterclass. He can beat the best of them and not just to stay up. I think he can do it well. I think Everton can really build upon this. And if they back him, Sean Dyche might be the man. He might be the man. Now, that being said, however, there were reports that Marcelo Bielsa turned down the job. Would that have been a better fit? I don't know. Like I see Marcelo Bielsa, it was either Everton or Mexico. And he chose neither. Uh, I don't know. Perhaps. I don't know. I, I'm not saying I don't like the Sean Dyche appointment. I do. It just feels like he's a last resort for when a team is in relegation trouble, and he's more than just that. Yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from. I think that he deserves better than getting appointed in January, a.k.a. Uh, Sam Allardyce, uh, Tony Pulis time. Uh, you've got four months. Save our season. Can you do it? Um, I think not only will Sean Dyche be able to do it, and if I'm wrong, obviously, BS of the year, lock me in, baby. Um, but like I said, Everton at the moment are currently um, only three points away from the safety zone, which means they're only three points away from 14th place. They currently sit in 19th. If there's anybody that could do it with this amount of time, we're about halfway done with the season, 20 matches played for most teams. 
uh, Sean Deitch is the best of them to do that. And I think he has an opportunity to build with a squad that has a lot of talent. Um, they obviously, I think, got rid of Anthony Gordon, uh, one of their talismans. Uh, he went to Newcastle, who is fighting for much higher prizes at the moment. Um, but I think, yeah, Sean Deitch is the man you want to lead the helm in the Premier League. He's got the experience. He's got the, the you know, the scruff, the, you know, the grit. And uh, he takes no nonsense, no bullshit. Um, and he'll, he'll make the team a, a lot better for what it's worth. And I think Burnley will have been awarded a lot from that should, it, should they kept him. But, you know, they chose not to. And now they're in the championship. That's neither here nor there. So long may the Sean Deitch reign continue. And I think that uh, this is another opportunity for him to show what he's made of um, at a club that seems to spend a little bit more money than Burnley uh, has done in the past. So um, I don't know. I see um, I see a top half finish for Everton in the next two next two or three seasons under Sean Dyche. I respect him that much. I agree. He's a respectable manager. Hope for the best for Everton, but I don't know if that'll be enough at this point. Because who do they bring in? Yeah, I mean, they, they, they more got rid of players than they brought in in January. And I think, I mean, obviously with the deadline ending on, I believe, Tuesday, uh, today being Sunday, day of recording, um, there's not much business they have left to do. But I think with the squad that they have, um, they're not piss po. They're not 19th place. I think they have a lot of opportunity to do better than, for example, and I'm just going to throw it out there, the teams from 14 and down. Uh, Leicester City, I think they have a chance to do better than. Uh, Wolves are a team that are up and down, but they have a chance to do better than. I believe West Ham, who is in 16th currently, also on 18 points, but they have a chance to do better than. Um, and then Leeds United sits there in 15th place. I believe Leeds will stay up, but there's a huge amount of teams there um, from 19th uh, all the way up to 13th, and that includes Nottingham Forest. Uh, for Sean Deitch to do better than. I think they've given him just enough time. There's 18 matches left in the Premier League season for a lot of clubs. And um, I don't know. I believe in him, and I think that he'll do the job. And I think that's just the beginning of it. It's not like a Sean Deitch or Tony Pulis situation where uh, my specialty is to keep you up, and then, you know, whatever happens from there happens. But I think Sean Deitch is one of those managers where, you know, he keeps – he keeps teams up and he, he, he improves on his uh, performances, obviously. Like if we just look from, you know, the 2017 season uh, where Burnley were kind of coming into the fold of the Premier League, um, they finished that following season in 15th place under Sean Dyche. Um, and then the season after that, they finished in 10th place. So from the 2018-2019 season to the 2019-2020 season, they went from 18th or 17th place to uh, 15th place. So, I mean, Sean Dyche is that guy. And, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to win you the Premier League title or put you in European position, but he's going to put you in a position to create and be um, in a better spot. And I think, like I said before, Everton, with uh, the ownership of uh, Mashiri, Farah Mashiri, um, are in a much better position to spend more money and give Sean Dyke the resources to do better than potentially a 10th place finish. I mean, 10th place for Burnley is incredible, in my opinion. 
10th place for Everton, I think, is uh, as a club and what they've done in the past 15 years is expected. And I think Sean Dyche can make them a 10th place team. Now, is the board going to be willing to help him get to better than that? That is the main question. But I think he's absolutely able to do at least a top half finish if they provide him the resources and the resources that he deserves. This ain't no scrub. This is Sean Dyche. He don't play about. He said he'd sell Nick Pope for some crisp. We saw that. Yes, indeed. Uh, moving along in the FA Cup because there's still so much for you to talk about. Liverpool face down ass up to Brighton. Girl, you look good. Once you back that ass up, use the fire, motherfucker. Once you back that ass up, call me Big Matoma. When you back that ass up, Joe Gomez, who you playing? When you back that ass up, stop playing. Matoma, a three million pound signing from Brighton and Hove Albion. Mm, mm, mm. Looking good, smelling good, feeling good, and winning good. Ronnie, am I right? A 2-1 finish today at the Farmer Stadium in Brighton and Hove Albion, a.k.a. the Amex Community Stadium. Brighton and Hove Albion, they look incredible uh, with their new manager there, uh, this Serbi. He is commanding that team. He's got them uh, as a unit, and some would say, you know, he was lucky to inherit a team that is a unit, but Brighton have been recruiting well. They've been taking care of their players well, and they've been allowing their coach to really manifest his own philosophy well on this squad. A lot of the usual suspects started this match against Liverpool, a team you would consider a giant, although uh, in past weeks we've said they've been a mid-table team. Look at that. God damn. Um, but you know, you've got the, you know, Tyreek Lamptey's of the world, the Lewis Dunks of the world, the Pascal Grosses of the world, the uh, Sully Marches of the world, the Alexis McAllisters of the world. I know how much you love that, man. Uh, I do. The Danny, Wel- the Danny Welbecks of the world. And of course, the new man, the myth, the legend, the Kaoru Mitomas of the world. This man is a Premier League ace. He scores against the best of them. And Liverpool stood no chance. And more specifically, Joe Gomez, with his ass up in the air, stood no chance. You got to close them legs. For, come on, now, what are you doing now? Um, a 2-1 finish uh, at the Amex. Brighton win in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Liverpool up out of here. Mo Salah. Is he cursed? More on that later, perhaps. You over-sexualized a soccer game, and I've never seen it done before. Yes, sir. I mean, that's what I'm here for, honestly. I'm here to objectify these men who look great, who are fit, whose gluteus maximuses are in top shape. <clears throat> Carry on. <laughs> um, To stick on Brighton before we touch on Liverpool, a man we did not see in this match against the Liverpool, um, Moises Caicedo. Oh, you're getting, you're getting into the nitty-gritty, Ronnie, which I love the Premier League drama of January. It feels very sensual, the tone that I'm giving, because mm, look at the asses on some of these players. Moises Caicedo included. You mm. to <laughs> My bad, my bad. As uh, the data discuss, <laughs> I need to be on, LV needs to be on timeout. You're probably right about that, but when March comes to swinging, mm, so will I. <laughs> you feel me? <laughs> Let me give myself a timeout. Hold on. Let me just mute myself. Carry on. You need to chill. Um, Moises Caicedo, basically, he wrote an open letter on social medias and 
simply said, yo, dear Brighton, free me. Sincerely, Moises. Big facts. And if you don't mind, I'll add a little bit more context to that. Uh, Moises Caicedo, um, who was rumored to uh, move to Arsenal uh, for, I believe, a Brighton and Hove Albion record fee of 60 million pounds, dropped about an open letter saying, guys, I've got 10 siblings. I'm the youngest of 10. I feed a lot of people. Let me move on to a bigger club. Now, it's not like you're not getting paid big money uh, over there at Brighton and Hove Albion. It's some money, y'all. I'm going to be honest. But his contract is currently uh, favoring the likes of the Brighton front office. So they do have the final say, despite what the coach has been reported to have said, according to one Italian guy, Fabrizio Romano, who I've heard, I'm not sure if this is true, uh, that he gets his sources from uh, the data desk himself. Now, the Caicedo situation is interesting. As you said, he didn't feature in that FA Cup clash against Liverpool, which they, which they won. And they have a chance to uh, move on in this competition. But he's currently a Brighton player. You need to feed your family, sure. But I think you're making a, liv- a livable wage at Brighton and Hove Albion. Yeah, let's be honest. I mean, I'm not here to be the player hater. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of family that I could feed with that money that he's making. I'm just being honest. I mean, he could. It could be a case of him saying the quiet part out loud. He's saying, I'm trying to win a Premier League title. Come on now. I don't know. Maybe he really he believes the, the line about feeding his family. I feel like he might really believe that. As if Brighton's paying him pennies on the dollar. I mean, I, yeah, exactly. I, I think I, I see you shooting him some bail. Uh, I will. Oh, I'm not shooting him bail at all. I'm saying it's stupid. But yes, yes, as Spencer pulls up the uh, the figures, five years, nine hundred ten thousand pounds, fifteen thousand pounds per week. Okay, low key. I think. I think he's low-key being robbed, but that is an incredible amount of money a week. If I made 15,000 pounds a week, I'd be the happiest man on the planet Earth. But for a player of his caliber, low-key, he might be being robbed. <laughs> I mean, now that we look at those numbers, I agree, but how much are the offers he's getting? I mean, it, it, you'd have to imagine if uh, Brighton are getting $60 million for him, which they've denied. I believe Arsenal are uh, coming in for something around 70000 with bonuses and add-ons. Uh, you'd have to imagine the more a club uh, gets paid for a transfer fee, probably the less that another club that's receiving this player uh, can pay him. But in a, a top team as, uh, as Arsenal are, you'd imagine will pay him much more than £15,000 a week, which is very much uh, lower tier. Brighton on that, you know, buy for the low and sell for the high type of uh, uh, mentality. And the wages clearly uh, reflect that. 15,000 pounds a week. Goodness gracious. Yeah, I agree. Goodness gracious. That sounds a, a, a tad wild. But, hey, like you said, I wouldn't be mad. But then again, I'm not the one who plays football. Exactly. But- I, I think, um, I think. sorry to cut you off, but I think, and this is just me completely hating on Arsenal. I think uh, he's in a position to at least finish up his uh, 
season with Brighton, see what happens. And then hopefully, and for me, maybe Chelsea could swoop in. Because God forbid he goes to Arsenal. Sorry. Then there also is the deal of Brighton potentially playing European football next season in at least the conference league. Which you'd imagine would be a huge boost for the club uh, playing European footy and getting some UEFA checks. Um, and uh, in a similar breath for a player such as Moises Caicedo. But if he does continue to play well for Brighton, I think the bigger move for him is a chance to um, command a much higher fee or a slightly higher fee um, in the summer transfer market, which will then in turn earn him a higher wage at a club that's competing for you know much bigger things that Brighton is at the moment. I mean, obviously, we don't know what they will do at the end of the season, but it seems like a win-win for the club and the player. However, he seems intent based on the letter we sent that he wants out now. We still have to talk about the Liverpool side of the coin here. On um, Who better to talk about the Liverpool side of the coin than our guy, uh, Spencer, who I believe is no longer a Liverpool fan as of uh, yesterday. Yeah, he's got Mikel Arteta written all over his face, not there nor there. Is it Jurgen Klopp out or what? I mean, I don't know. Never that. Uh, they're just having a poor, poor, poor run of form. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch the game, so I'm not too sure how it played out. But um, the results are starting to starting to build on it, are starting to build on themselves, and it's starting to feel like a little bit of a spiral. But we're hopeful, we, the Liverpool supporters, uh, that the club will um, come around and the players will start playing well again. But this is just a rough, a rough time, rough time with these results. Now, will Liverpool get Champions League this season? Because I feel like the only way they can at this point, if they continue this dip in form, is if they win the Champions League. And they play Real Madrid coming into that. I don't know if they can. Uh, hopefully. I mean, there's still there's still some time. Uh, hopefully they can find the form and make it into the top four. Hopefully. We'll see how Spencer really feels when we make our Champions League predictions. Now, I think uh, it's important also while we have Spencer here at the Data Desk, who's been doing an incredible job obviously giving us the numbers, the facts, the Googles, and keeping Fabrizio Romano off his back. I think it's a, it's a great question to ask whether or not, you know, or just whether, or just, I guess, how you feel about the job that Klopp's done this season thus far, and do you think this squad that they have with signings that they brought in, be it Darwin Nunez and Cody Gakpo as well, um, is it enough, and what needs to change? I'd, I'd like I'd like to know. It's, it seems like disappointing result after disappointing result. This FA Cup was a chance for Klopp to gain some silverware. Obviously, Premier League is out of reach. Champions League, as Ronnie said, is possible. It'll be tough with uh, those guys known as Real Madrid there. But, yeah, I mean, how do we feel about the job that Klopp's done this season and the team as a whole has done this season? What's gone wrong, if you, if you don't mind? Sheesh. What a question. Uh, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. That's a, that's that's a great late uh, The seat is hot, but um, it's, oh, it's probably a culmination. That's, that's enough. That's enough for us. No, not the hot seat for Klopp. The hot seat for me to answer the question. Klopp oh. can do no wrong. He's literally won every single trophy that he's had a chance to win. He's he's solidified. Damn, um, I think no, 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 no. Better luck next time. I think it's... <laughs> I think um, they're just having a rough, a rough time from playing every single match you can play last year, 
uh, coming up close or coming up short in so many matches. Uh, players getting older, injuries, I don't know. There's probably tons of things you can look back to um, and say they could have they could have better prepared, but this is uh, the intensity of the Premier League running 99 points, 90-something points, so many years in a row, it just wears you down. So, I mean, we'll hope they can kind of retool, but I think right now it's kind of seeing the, the tail end of that cycle. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. One more question, I'm sorry. Uh, that tail end of that cycle, which was glorious, mind you. Uh, I was just talking about, I think, last week, the Arsenal run this season is reminding me a lot of the 19-2020 uh, season that Liverpool had where they made things happen no matter what, and it was beautiful to watch. Now, that tail end of the cycle you speak of, does that include Jurgen Klopp, or is he not going to be a part of that? I don't know. I just like to... I'd like to find out. Is his time running out? I don't know. I just, well, I'm just asking. And this is coming from a loser, a fan of a loser team. You know, I, I know losing. That's it. I just like to know. Uh, I'm gonna, I think the club's going to support Jurgen Klopp until Jurgen Klopp is ready to go. So. And uh, Jurgen Klopp ready to go? Does that sound like the end of the season? What do you think? That what is above my pay grade, friend. That is above my pay grade. I want to say less. All right. That's as good as I'm going to get this week. We still have to talk about the one, the, the one Tim that's been getting all the attention in the FA Cup. Sponsored by Aviation Gin, Aviation American Gin. Uh, Footy Mitzvah is open as a sponsor. I'm just letting you know. We talked about at the beginning of this entire segment, which has gone on too long. We broke down every Premier League team in the history and this, that, and the third. But, um, the FA Cup, the magic of the FA Cup, the beauty of the FA Cup um, comes down to things like this. A team like Wrexham, which has grown in popularity over the past couple of seasons, um, in large part brought to you by Aviation Gin and Ryan Reynolds, um, and Netflix, if you will. Uh, also, the Footy Mixes is open to a sponsorship. You know what time it is. Um, we are for sale, guys. Uh, they played an incredible fourth round FA Cup matchup uh, this weekend um, against a former Premier League stalwart, a Premier League legend, if you will, in Sheffield United. Um, that match was on Sunday, today, day of recording. And am I free to give away the uh, final score? It was three to three. A and boy, <laughs> there you go. And boy, what a journey it was to get to the, that final score there, three to three. Um, Wrexham, as I mentioned, are currently um, in the, if I'm not mistaken, the third tier of English football? Fifth tier of English football. Mm, look at that, I gave them two extra places. Crazy news. Um, and they're punching up over here against the Sheffield United team. Uh, which is fighting, I believe, in the championship. Um, they were very recently in the Premier League. And boy, what a match uh, that we had here on the Sunday the day of recording. Obviously, as we mentioned, 3-3, three to three, the final score. Uh, it was Sheffield early on, as early as the second minute of this match, um, to go ahead 1-0. Um, and Wrexham would take the lead themselves after going after tying the match 
1-1 in the 50th minute, they would go ahead in the 61st, Wrexham would. Uh, Sheffield would go ahead and tie things back up at 2-2 in the 65th. And you would hope that it would be a late winner. If you're following this Netflix documentary, if you like Deadpool, or you like Ryan Reynolds, uh, in the 86th minute, Wrexham went up 3-2 and it looked all but done there. But 10-man Sheffield United showing their experience and saying, we're not going to let a fifth tier team beat us, uh, scoring a goal in the death of the match. 90 plus five, John Egan with the goal, 3-3. We've got a replay, baby. Yeah, archaic as fuck. Um, Facts. The replay will take place um, sometime in February at Bramall Lane. Mm. Sheffield, uh, not Sheffield, Wrexham, fifth tier, the lowest team remaining in the FA Cup. Um, yeah, and like it's literally a Hollywood story being written in real time. I mean, I, I don't know how else to describe it. I think you and I both use the uh, two main words possible here. Uh, archaic as fuck and magic, if you will. <laughs> it's that. I mean, the replays, we talked about that. I mean, I mean, what, what are we doing there? Let's go to the penalties. Stop playing. Um, but also, um, for a team that low to be punching up and playing to the competition to create a replay, I mean, you should just go to penalties, as I said. Um, it's magical. It's magical stuff. And that's the beauty of the sport. And Wrexham, they're trying to play their way into the EFL. They are first in the National League, uh, level on points with Nuts County, but ahead on goal difference. It looks like they're going to be playing EFL football next season in League Two. And it looks like they might be deserving of that, uh, specifically with the quality that they've brought on the, on the pitch. Um, and with that performance there against the Sheffield United team, as I said, within the Premier League as recent as uh, the 2021-2022 season. That's incredible stuff. Hopefully, if you've listened to the show long enough, you know where I stand, and I think you might know where Ronnie stands. Uh, Spencer obviously stands with the few, the uh, the winners, if you will. Um, but, yeah, man, I like what Rexon is doing. I like it. And but I don't want to with those with money. And the owners of Wrexham yeah. have money. Yeah. The point where I was watching the match, and they were, and it looks like they're repairing the, uh, they're repairing their, uh, their stadium. The, um, what's the name of that shit? Uh, the race course ground. Wait, hold on. You can't call it shit, though. Hold on. Wait. Hold on. Don't get into trouble now. Now, also, not too much on Spencer because I don't know where he stands on FA Cup football, um, but I know where he stands generally. Generally. He stands with the Gunners. Mm-mm-mm. Sorry, Spence. I love you to death. Sorry. Why do you keep doing that? It's because you're a Spurs fan. It, that's exactly what it's, And look, that, that's how it starts, see? You know, it's a Spurs fan digs. Join the dark side. He's Darth Vader. He was Anakin Skywalker, and now he's Darth Vader, unfortunately. Jesus Christ. Spencer on the dark side. Um, oh, the Sith. Anyways. Now, to quickly run through the rest of what we saw in European football before we get to that time. Um, Jude Bellingham is Jude Bellinghaming. Oh, he is balling uh, Bundesliga football. 
I'm sorry to just overtake it, but I think it's been an incredible uh, thing to watch since it came back just last week, if you will. Um, there have been teams scoring left, right, and center. A lot of goals in the Bundesliga. Uh, I've been appreciating it, but the main match for me personally um, was not, in fact, Bayern Munich versus Eintracht Frankfurt, um, where one Randall Kolomwani would score for Eintracht Frankfurt to tie the match against Bayern Munich. But the marquee matchup of the weekend for me was... Berlin Derby. You thought? Go ahead, oh. Union Berlin. Easy money. Stop playing with me. Come on now. I knew what time it was. Uh, the marquee matchup of the weekend for me, Bayer Leverkusen led by Xabi Alonso, who has been high-flying. They've been scoring many a goal. A very threatening counterattack squad versus Borussia Dortmund, who are just three points shy of first place, which is obviously, you guessed it, Bayern Munich. Um, not Union Berlin, which you might have assumed. Um, if you were been paying attention. Um, but a 2-0 win for Borussia Dortmund, a team that we've criticized many a time for not being able to defend well. Uh, they would have a 2-0 win in this match here, not allowing a goal uh, for the first time in God knows how long against the high-flying Bayer Leverkusen side. Um, I believe Jude Bellingham was instrumental in um the win overall just in a great midfielder a great player for them and you have to wonder how long do you stay in germany with this win here a 2-0 win and that brings we talk about chasing bayern munich that brings uh, borussia dortmund uh as i said for in fourth place uh a point away from third rb leipzig uh two points away from second place union berlin and three points from the team that has had three draws in their last three, the team that buys up all the best players, the red and blue and white of Bayern Munich. They don't Can slow Borussia down Dortmund, summer, man. They, oh, man, that really ruined my week, Ronnie. It ruined my week. They really got you on summer, man. I ain't like that. Just because my not fair. doesn't know how to ski. It's not fair. Like, bro, you guys can't, you, you can't pick the best players from the best teams because you want to be the top dog and win the league every year. Um, we hope that RB Leipzig could be that, even though some folks don't fuck with RB Leipzig for their marketing and their business tactics and what they come from. Obviously, the underdogs were Union Berlin, who I remember very uh, well before the World Cup you and I were rooting for. And I believe even Spencer was rooting for. Uh, you were rooting mostly for Freiburg, but yes, I agree with Union Berlin, though. They were top of the league at a certain point for a little bit, for a hot second. But that being said, the team that may be the Robin Hood of the Bundesliga has always been Borussia Dortmund. They currently sit three points off of first place. Can they do it after they beat a very red-hot Bayer Leverkusen side today? Uh, if they know how to defend, sure. But why do we discredit, you know... The Unions of the world and the Freibergs of the world. That would be a hell of a story. I would honestly love to see that over BVB, but I wouldn't be mad at BVB. Yeah, because none of them really have. I mean, shout to Union Berlin. I hope they, they make something happen. They are in the pole position to do so. As I said, they sit in second place, although obviously the point difference between um, sixth place and second place is literally four points. Um, they do have the stuff to do it, but we know 
good and well despite BVB's disgusting defensive uh, record. They have been the ones historically to challenge Bayern Munich. RB Leipzig have been folding at every turn because they're sellouts. Um, neither here nor there. Um, like Union or Freiburg could be Bundesliga's Leicester City. You're absolutely right. And I think the way the season has been shaping out, Union Berlin is really giving a fight for that. They've been um, going tit for tat with Bayern Munich. Um, they've won you know, their last three um, out of five. Whereas Bayern Munich have, you know, as I said, drawn their last three, which is incredible to see. It's not something that we see often. Um, so there may be something to look out for. If I had to give one theme for this episode, I'd say there's maybe something to look out for in the Bundesliga. There may be some, some magic to happen. Uh, La Liga, uh, Real Madrid drew Real Sociedad. Uh, meanwhile, the folks that they've been chasing their age-old rivals did play out a strong 1-0 win over Girona. And when I say strong 1-0 win, I mean strong 1-0 win. That was nil-nil to the death. And uh, only until they substituted on their one of their talismans, Pedri, where he scored probably the easiest goal of his career off of a lovely uh, set piece from one uh, veteran, Barcelona veteran, Jordi Alba, um, did they get that win? But it was that match had nil-nil written all over it, and I say that because I watched the entire 90 minutes um, yesterday on Saturday. Barcelona get it done, and yet again, Xavi's men sit atop the table, and they're up by five points. If this was 2013, uh, Spencer would tell you, that league was wrapped up, baby. Shall we carry on to one of the most prominent leagues, the most uh, entertaining of leagues in Serie A over there in Italy. Ooh, wow. Ooh. Any chance for AC Milan to win the league has gone kaput. 5-2 losers to Sassuolo. Oh, they have given up. When I tell you they have given up, they have given up. Uh, their last few matches, if you will, AC Milan, two losses and two draws in their last five. They have been looking despicable. They had the early match on Sunday. Today, they are recording against Sassuolo, who have been slipping in the Serie A league. They currently sit in 16th place, even with that win against AC Milan. 5-2 winners. Uh, Milan post-World Cup, they've got the drowsiness. Uh, Y'all got to get it together because you guys look terrible. We saw Lazio in the midweek give them the absolute beats. Uh, a 4-0 win there. And then again, uh, Sassuolo putting five on their head. They've conceded nine goals in the span of five days. They do have Inter Milan to play uh, in the following week, and that could get ugly based on what they've been doing. Um, Salernitana 2-1 winners over Lecce, keeping pace with 13th place Juventus. Absolutely. I mean, Juventus should be nowhere near 13th place. Salernitana obviously should be probably nowhere near 14th place. But um, with that 2-1 win, they brought themselves up to 14th place, as I said. Uh, Juventus continuing to embarrass themselves after a 15-point deduction, which we've heard of, um, having a wild match against Monza, which they beat in the Coppa Italia just uh, a few Thursdays ago, 2-1. They would go ahead and lose 2-0 to uh, today, day of recording. Goodness gracious, it's unraveling. 
Monza defeated Juve in both league meetings this season. That can't be good at all for a Juventus team that has been mired with controversy. Uh, losing 2-0 to a team such as that, um, a team, as I said, which sits above Juventus uh, in 11th place, which has no business sitting above Juventus. That can't be good for them at all, not one bit. They play each other Ew. next week, Juve and Salernitana. Mm. Sounds like a relegation dog fight to me, am I right? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, Serie A's relegation fight is clearly settled, done, and dusted. We have to talk about Napoli, the league leaders, the big dogs at the moment, um, versus uh, the special one, the one, the only Jose Mourinho, Roma, who sat sixth place or sit sixth place after this match week. Um, I believe, in my opinion, after watching that match, one of the best matches of the season, uh, Napoli versus Jose Mourinho's Roma, uh, a 2-1 finish today at the Stadio Diego Armando Maradona. You know what time it is. They, Napoli might not be letting Diego Maradona down this season. I mean, they opened the scoring with a Victor Osimhen goal, courtesy of a Mr. You-know-I-can't-pronounce-his-name, um, but I'm going to try. Kvitsa uh, Kravitskalia, you know what time it is. Sorry, guys. Um, the incredible combination between him and Victor Osimhen has been unbelievable. Uh, they would open the scoring 17 minutes in, giving Napoli the 1-0 lead. Stefan El Sharai would score a goal in the 75th minute. Stefan El Sharai would score the goal in the 75th minute to make it 1-1. And Giovanni Simeone, somebody who Ronnie I'm sure that you have talked about many a time uh, on this podcast. I have. Which would score the one and only match winner to make it 2-1 Napoli. The stuff, as we've mentioned about Arsenal, when they played Manchester United, scoring that match-winning goal late on, the stuff that champions are made of, to give Napoli the 2-1 win and to give them 53 points on the board, one loss. Uh, in 20 matches. Napoli, two. Roma, one. Great match overall. Incredible match. Yes, sir. And if that is it for our European tour, we spent so much time on England. Uh, it's time for BS of the Week. Boom, wow. Maybe too much time on England. Good life, guys. I mean, it, I'm only giving it BS of the Week now because I forgot to get uh, discuss it when we were discussing La Liga. Iñaki Williams's uh, consecutive match streak is over. Yeah, man. All right, peach that damn uh, streak. Two hundred fifty-one uh, matches with Athletic Club. That's six years. He did pick up an injury, and it kept him off. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. First things first. Got to be sad about uh, Iñaki Williams's going to an end. I mean, I think he had a wonderful run there. It gives you feelings of Cal Ripken Jr. Uh, if you're local to the United States in the uh, Major League Baseball, having an incredible run of playing and, you know, just being that guy to show up for your team every night, every day. Yeah, man, you hate to see it. His body did end up, you know, giving out. And that is what it is. But Big kudos to uh, Inyaki Williams. You hate to see it, but hopefully he comes up with another run 
All you can do is give him some kudos. And much deserved kudos. Uh, I've got one BS of the week. This one goes uh, between Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid, where they did have a clash in the uh, Copa del Rey. Real Madrid having a 3-1 win over them, where Rodrigo scored, Karim Benzema scored, and uh, the final goal for Real Madrid was, of course, from Vinny Jr., the Brazilian sensation, who's won the Champions League and all that with them guys. I think, you know, y'all might have to get it together. Diego Simeone being a goofball, we've talked about it. Maybe it's time for him to go. His hairline is disappearing slowly but surely, neither here nor there. But Vinny Jr., unfortunately, after scoring, uh, was the subject of some unfortunate racial abuse. Uh, we did see some sort of uh, large doll that meant to represent Vinny Jr. being hung by its neck. And um, the figure, and I quote from CBS Soccer, was wearing the white kit of Real and had Vinny Jr.'s name and number on the back. It's being hung. It's not fair. It's not right. It's nasty. It's disgusting. It's racist. And um, at the end of the day, it, it is bullshit. So... BS the week to Atleti Madrid and their fans for pulling some bullshit like that. It's not right. Um, Vinny Jr. is a goal scorer like any other player on this squad. I mentioned Rodrigo. I mentioned Karim Benzema. Uh, but Vinny Jr. obviously considered as the darker of hues uh, amongst those guys has suffered racial abuse before. And for him to continue to receive racial abuse um, is completely unfair at all. Yes, but we got that team Madrid and their fans. Y'all got to get it together. And while you're getting it together, you might want to consider getting rid of El Cholo, the one, the only uh, Diego Simeone, because he might not be, he might not be the man for the job. So, yeah, BS the week for the racism there from the fans of Atletico Madrid towards uh, one Vinicius Junior. That's not fair. And offenders, uh, Atletico Madrid, when it comes to racism of Vinny Junior. Repeat offenders. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's not the only time, as you said, Ronnie, that this has happened. So, um, I hope it gets better. I don't know if it will, but the fact that that he's being targeted as a guy um, for this sort of reaction is complete bullshit. And we, as the Misfits, will never stand by that, and we will call it out whenever we do see it. So, BS the week. If that's the Madrid fans. That's some hating ass shit right there. So, I mean, take that for what it is. I mean, you probably should be directing that energy towards your manager, who might need to go neither here nor there, buddy. Yep, and um, you said it perfectly. We do not do that shit. Um, so with that having been said, this has been episode one hundred twenty-eight of the Footy Misfits. We thank you all for listening, interacting with us, supporting us however we can, uh, however you can. And um, listen, we have been a bit, you know, dormant, but that's only because life is catching us up. But we are still pushing out as much content as we can. And again, we just appreciate you guys for sticking around with us. Episode 129 is right around the corner. So for the good brother LV and City Boy Spence, I go by the name of Ronnie. We will see you next time. Do stay strong. Continue to be brave. 
Adios, everyone. Woo. Stay tuned. More sexy on the way. <laughs>